0: Right. Uh, good evening and uh, welcome to discipleship class number 35 and that is for those of you keeping score at home of number 36 so we've got um, this week and uh, next week and we will be done um, for this year of course we'll start again in August and go through next May and uh, if Jesus comes back in the meantime we'll finish it in heaven. But, um amen, uh, let me, and I meant to make a slide for this, of course, those of you in the room we can we can talk, but um, those of you who have been a part of this online, uh, my email address is mark marK at HCC now. that's the church website heritage christian center HCCnow.org. dot org so mark at HCCnow.org. org and if you have completed. Uh, 30 of 36 classes online and would like a completion certificate, please send me an email um, this week and we will get that uh, together for you. Praise God. All right, we've got a great group uh, in the room with us. Uh, We don't have camera to show uh, you that if you're watching online, but these folks may not want their privacy interfered with like that. (laughs) I'm just kidding, but anyway, um, we're excited about our subject matter this evening. It's going to be Stickman Theology Part 2. We started Part 1 last week. And uh, we're going to get into some uh, some good stuff tonight. So let's pray, and uh, and we'll get started. Father, thank you for another day of life. This is the day that you've made, Lord, and we choose now to rejoice and to be glad in it. And Father, I thank you that everything you make, uh, from the smallest uh, microbe, Lord, to the largest star, uh, it all has a purpose. And Lord, this day that you've made for us has a purpose, and I thank you for helping us fulfill Uh, your purpose for our lives in this moment. Lord, thank you for what you have prepared for us. Father, I believe that you had this uh, moment written down in a book before any of us ever lived on this earth. Lord, it's part of your plan for our lives, and it's good to be in your plan, and it's good to be in your truth, Father. Thank you for helping us see things, Lord, that we've never seen before, to see them clearer than we've ever seen them before. And I thank you, Father, for the renewing of our minds and the transforming of our lives now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so um, let's just kind of jump right in. I'm going to go ahead and put the, uh, the drawing from last week up on the screen. I'll put it uh, on the overlay online. We've looked at several verses that support uh, what is um, illustrated uh, before you uh, on your screen. We see the Bible teaches that you are a spirit. You have a soul and you live in a body. You are a three-dimensional being. Most people only think of themselves as being a one-dimensional being. As a matter of fact, most people only think one-dimensionally because of that. But the Bible teaches us um, better than that and more than that. And so we see that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is a three yet one God. And they said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Notice the plural pronouns there, us and our as opposed to me and my. So a three yet one God created you and me, three yet one beings. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your body is referred to as your temporary dwelling place, also called a tent in the scriptures. But the Bible is also very clear that you have a permanent dwelling place established for you in heaven. Now that's Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a mansion, a manse, a house, a place for you in heaven. Uh, and certainly that is what he's talking about there. But then the body, your glorified body, is something altogether different from that. I like to say it this way. It's, it's a body comparable to the born-again spirit that's already inside of this one. And the Bible says a lot of things about this. Um, I think we looked at this verse last week, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that you have a treasure in an earthen vessel. And your earthen vessel is the physical body that you live in, okay? And it was made from the dust of the earth. Death means separation. So when your spirit is separated from God, who is a spirit, that's spiritual death. And when your spirit and soul separate from your physical body, that's what the Bible means by a physical death, okay? Am I going too fast for you? A lot of this, I know some of you are new to the class uh, this evening, uh, we covered a lot of this uh, with you know on a slower pace and with greater uh, detail in Bible verses to support it all. The uh, the words in parentheses um, over um, Mr. Uh, Stickman's head there, um, those words are pneuma, suche, and soma. And those are the Greek words translated into our English words spirit, soul, and body. And I point those out, one, as we did last week, to give you the definitions for those words but also to show you that the spirit and soul are distinct from one another. A lot of people, uh, because of their confusion in these areas, they think that a man's spirit, a woman's spirit, and a man or a woman's soul are the same thing and that these are just different words used interchangeably for one another, but that is, that is inaccurate. That is, that is not the case. Now, where some of that confusion uh, comes from is that the Bible is clear that we have an outward man, women, uh, women are men with wombs, okay, womb men, okay, so when I say a man, I'm not just referring to the male of our species, I'm talking about male and female, mankind, I guess we could say, and so you have an outward man and an inward man, but the outward man, of course, is the body, but the inward man is the combination of the spirit and soul, also known, anybody remember that from last week, what that part is of you, what the Bible calls that part of you, the part that is your spirit and your soul. Anybody? Let me give you a little hint there. I'm going to draw it in the air, okay? It's the heart, your cardia. With a K uh, in the Greek, um, the heart of a man or a woman is the combination or the totality of their immaterial man, their inward person. And that would be the inward part of you is the combination of your spirit and your soul. And the heart of a man or a woman is ex- extremely, extremely important. It has everything to do with your uh, quality of life, what you experience in life. Um, that 's why, as far back as the Old Testament proverbs, we 're told, uh, above all else, guard, keep, protect your heart with all diligence, because from it spring forth the issues of life. Now we 'll get into this in a little more detail tonight, so I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but you were designed in such a way as for your inward man to form your outward reality. What's inside of you flowing from within you, producing what you're experiencing on the outside of you. And so the arrows, uh, with that funny word Z-O-E written on them, they denote both connection and direction. So the word zoe means the life and nature of God. And this is where it gets really, 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 really important, okay? Zoe means the life and nature of God. If you notice over there, over uh, soma, and, and, and uh, which means body, in Greek um, is the word bios and bios means what you think it means it just means biological life or a physical existence zoe is different from bios zoe is speaking of the life and nature of god and this is what jesus came to restore to us so he says for example in john the 10th chapter the 10th verse that i have come to give you life and to give it to you in overflowing abundance he didn't say, I've come to give you bios, because clearly the people he was speaking to on that afternoon, uh, or morning or day, whatever time of day it was, we don't know exactly that, but whoever he was talking to that day, they already had bios. They were physically, biologically alive. So he's saying to people who had bios, I've come to give you zoe, I've come to give you the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance, where we, uh, Jesus came to give us this life and nature of God without end. Um, also known as what Uh, everlasting life or eternal life okay so life and nature of god in overflowing abundance without end this is what jesus came to do for us it's what he came to uh, restore to us now your spirit is the real you i want to say that like 50 times in a row but obviously you'd get annoyed and and maybe go back to wherever you came from or turn your tv off okay so i'm not going to do that to you but I can't overstate that. I can't overemphasize that because most people on planet Earth think the real you is are the real the real them. <laughs> may not be good English, but it's good teaching. Okay, is the body. In other words, that, that's who they, that's who we think we are. Uh, who we see in the mirror when we look, uh, you know, in the mirror. That's that's who we think we are, and that's not who you are. That's that's the body that you live in. Um, that's the uh, the horse that you rode in here in. Okay, and so we've got to begin to renew our minds to these truths and to these understandings and to these realities now one of the things that we're going to let me get to this and I, we ended here and I didn't really do this justice but anybody remember what uh what God told Adam and Eve would happen if they ate from the uh fruit of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil the forbidden fruit that they would die right and they knew that they understood that uh, but they did it anyway. They ate uh, from the, uh, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, if you go to the, into the the Hebrew, when God said, you'll surely die, a more literal translation of that statement would be, in dying, you shall surely die. In dying, you shall surely die. Now, this, again, is awkward to uh, you know, the English language. Hebrew is a more sophisticated language than English, and this would be about the only way to accurately communicate what God said to them in English. In dying, you shall surely die. But, but notice what this statement um, takes into consideration. This is a three-dimensional thinking, forward-thinking statement, okay? He didn't just say, you'll die, okay? Because if you hear, um, if you do this, you'll die, What do we think of first when we think of death? We think of the body dying. We think of a person who was biologically alive, no longer biologically alive, and needs to be buried or cremated or or something done with, okay? Um, and, And so that's, you know, not just to try to help you understand what God is literally saying there, but I'm trying to show you how even when God spoke to them, he used language that took into account that they were three-dimensional beings and so he says in dying you shall surely die in dying you shall surely die so notice what he's saying here he's saying in dying you shall surely die all right so what's the point when they sinned they experienced spiritual death but they maintained a biological existence they were still physically alive now they knew something happened because for the first time, they're experiencing dominant negative emotions. For the first time, they're experiencing fear. They're experiencing a compulsion to isolate. Um, when Adam sinned, the two people that, that, that were there to help him, God and his wife, um, he hid from them, he ran from them. And, and so they knew something had happened, but they weren't dead, at least to their understanding of what death meant. So when God says, in dying you'll surely die, we see that they instantly died spiritually but it took a while for them to actually die physically are you picking up what i'm putting down okay this is this again i'm trying to show you a few things at once here is that is that you know god understood the three-dimensional uh being now the simple way that i am known have been known to illustrate this is um and remember the church here at heritage began about four six blocks behind me uh, in my cabinet business in June of 98 and when I first um, used this illustration it was pretty easy to do I just went out in the cabinet shop and got a, a random orbital sander if you know what that thing is and and those normally have pretty long power cords on them and so I plugged it in up on the stage and hid it up there and so when I got to this point in the sermon I just went over and grabbed that uh, sander and I held it up over my head and, and just turned it on wide open well, it's, Wah! you know, it's, it's really loud, and I'm, I'm walking around, you know, really milking it, trying to act like I'm talking over it, nobody can hear what I'm saying. And I acted as if I accidentally walked too far and pulled it out from the wall, okay? Now, that sander didn't stop on a dime, okay? What did it do? It coasted for a while until it eventually died, Okay? And so if you can imagine that or picture that in your mind, this is what it means to, in dying, you shall surely die. When did the sander actually die? When it was disconnected from its power source, okay? Um, but then it, it coasted for a while. And so that, that moment of coasting, because remember, God created you to be in a moment of coasting. Really, your life is but a vapor. That's all biological existence on this side um, actually is. Uh, compared to the eternal existence that Father God created each one of us for. Now, let me just be as plain as I can uh, with you, all right? And this is why I get so excited about an opportunity to teach spirit, soul, and body or stick theology to people. It's because there are some things you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Um when I say an understanding of spirit, soul, and body will answer at least a thousand questions for you, I really don't believe I'm exaggerating. It will help you understand so much about your existence. But let me let me tell you where the real, pardon the expression, the real money is in understanding spirit, soul, and body is that there are very, very important things in God's Word that you will never understand, that will never make sense to you, that you will never, therefore, be able to apply to your life until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Because God speaks to us through his word, but just like we illustrated him speaking to Adam and Eve and dying, you'll surely die, he speaks to us from the perspective of you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Let me jump way ahead, and I just keep feeling compelled to do this, okay? When the apostle Paul spoke of his body, he spoke of it in the third person. He said, for example, I will not let it rule me. He recognized that he was the spirit that lived in that body. And he also recognized that his flesh would try to rise up and override him and rule him. Um, he said things like, I don't owe my flesh anything. So your flesh will tell you that you owe it um, this or that. You owe it a cigarette. You owe it a this or a that. Okay? No, see, you, you don't. Okay, But again, pay attention to the language there. Um, he's not saying I will not let me rule me. He recognized that that he was the Spirit who lived in the body, and he spoke of his body as as this, you know, in a third person uh, perspective, and recognizing that he could not allow his flesh to rule or overrule um, his true being, his true self, which was again his spirit. So that's just one example, right? There are some things. Um, you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. Now, I'm fixing to get somebody's attention up, up, up in here and online because I'm going to show you some a couple of things that are pretty extreme in the Scriptures, but this is perhaps one of the more extreme examples of of what I'm talking about. And so if we go, for example, to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. In 1 John 1 and 8 it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Okay. So if you say you never make a mistake, if you say you never, you know, remember sin is not just something that you commit, it's also something that you omit. The Bible says if you know to do good and do not do it, it's sin. Okay. Okay. So you know we might think, well, you know, I've been pretty good for about three weeks in a row now, you know, and well, that, that's great, okay, but, but that doesn't mean that, you know, in your in your physical body that that you're doing everything exactly as you should and everything exactly as you should not, okay. So he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth, is not in us. That's First John, chapter one, verse eight. Now let's jump, almost two chapters to 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, saying, all right, you with me? Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his, capital H, the seed of God remains in the man or woman who's been born again, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. How many of you understand there's a difference between do not and cannot? Are you with me? Now, listen, I said I was fixing to get extreme with this, all right? Might as well just jump right in, amen? amen. So was John, and I'm speaking tongue-in-cheek now, that he wrote this you know, as, as the senior apostle in the, uh, in the body of Christ, you know? so was he just getting a little old, and did he forget what he wrote in chapter 1? Absolutely not. All scriptures give him inspiration of God. So if in chapter 1 he says, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. And in chapter 3 he says, if you've been born of God, you do not sin uh, because God's seed abides in you and you do not sin because you cannot sin. How how, how are we to make sense of this? How are we to understand this? Well, again, the Bible is written from the perspective of three-dimensional thinking. So if we put this back up on the screen, obviously... If you say in your body that you never do anything wrong and always do everything right, truth's not in you because in our flesh, we, it's, it wasn't born again. We're, we still at times have struggles there. Thank God it's getting better and we're, and we're overcoming. Amen. Thank you for those amens. <laughs> but there's this other dimension of you that not only does not sin, but cannot. Okay? Cannot. If you've been born again, the real you, I didn't say this. I'm telling you what God said in his word. The real you, your born again spirit, cannot sin. And the reason it cannot sin is because God's seed of life abides in you. And it, it I mean, I got so many verses firing off in my head, I don't mean to, to, to stammer. But how about, remember the verse where it says, and the evil one cannot touch you? Well, I mean, we all know that the enemy attacks our flesh, and anybody that's alive for five minutes knows the enemy tries to attack your mind, okay? So what part do you think he's referring to that the devil cannot touch any longer? It's your born-again spirit, right? So and here's just a few examples of what I mean by you can't understand and make sense of the Bible unless you understand spirit, soul, and body because the Bible is written from that perspective. It's written to three-dimensional beings. And so understanding um, the difference between the part of you that's spirit, the part of you that's mind, emotions, and will, and the part of you that is flesh is critical in understanding these things. Let me give you another example here, all right? The Bible speaks of your salvation in three tenses. Do you understand a verb tense, past, present, future? Okay. So the Bible, for example, speaks of our having been saved, past tense, have been saved, have been sanctified. The same Bible that says you have been also uses the expression in verses that you are being Now, our being is present tense. This speaks of an ongoing act, right? This speaks of something that is progressive. Have been speaks of past tense, something that is a past completed act, something that is, could we say it this way, a done deal, all right? Okay, but then the same Bible that speaks of your salvation as if it's eternal and and, and established and a done deal, the same Bible speaks of your salvation as an ongoing present tense progressive work and then believe it or not the same bible speaks of your salvation as a future work will be saved will be sanctified okay so the question then is you know which one is it and anybody remember uh math class when you know for the first time we've got one number with a line under it and then another number under that, also known as the dreaded fraction, right? Well, a fraction is just a fancy way of presenting a uh, division problem to us, right? Because, for instance, 1 over 4 literally means 4 divided by 1. And, of course, if you know how to do the division, you're going to get .25 or a fourth or a quarter or if it's a dollar, a fourth of a dollar is a quarter, you know, all these ways we learn this. Now if you remember though, that bottom number on that fraction was, anybody remember what we call that number? It was a denominator, right? Does that sound like anything that is associated with organized religion? A denomination, right? So a denomination is a division of the body of Christ, and denominations are formed by least common beliefs. In in other words, you, you have denominations that form because they believe this about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or they believe this about salvation, where you have another denomination that has a different set of beliefs about this, Jesus came to do two things for you, take away your sins, baptize you in the Holy Spirit, and that's where we see the majority, the overwhelming majority of denominational lines drawn. In other words, what does that mean, take away sins? What does that mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Some denominations believe being baptized in the Holy Spirit means getting saved because you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. Other denominations believe being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a separate work from salvation where the Holy Spirit uh, rises up in a person, overflows that person, comes upon that person, and enables that person to speak in an unknown tongue. And we got all kinds of positions in between that, all right? So these are the, uh, the least common beliefs. In other words, the, 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 the core beliefs that divide, separate the body of Christ into def- different denominators or denominations. Well, how many of you know God's not a, a divided God? And the body of christ should not be divided in that way and the bible says that's carnal and immature thinking that that brings those kinds of denominations That's that's why we are a non-denominational church we're kingdom people here at heritage um we're born again men and women and uh and we are members of the body of christ amen and the body of christ is much much larger than the than the family of faith that meets in this facility and we recognize ourselves as being a part of that and as being part of our father's kingdom and um, and we fellowship with folks who uh, think we're nuts for speaking in tongues. And we fellowship with folks who um, who believe you can lose your salvation, and we fellowship folks with, with folks who who believe you can't. And and um, but what you need to understand about the things that we'll cover tonight and next week uh, concerning especially the salvation part of this it's not it's not my opinion. Um, what does the word say? Okay, but notice now at the heart of this confusion about our salvation, as their verse to argue their position, right? Um, so you've got those folks who believe that they have been saved, and because they have been, they always will be. You've got other folks who believe, well, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart some time ago, but, you know, if I don't keep doing what I'm supposed to do, I'll be lost again, and I'll wind up going to hell. And then you've got other folks who believe that, you know, we won't ever really know for sure until we stand before God one day, and he either says, come on in, or get lost. Um, and so th- th- there's so much confusion about all of this. Well, um, how many of you are already ahead of me? Okay. Um, you say, which one is it, Pastor Mark? It's not which one is it. It's not an either or. It's an all three and. Okay. So let me put spirit, soul, and body back up. Anybody with me already? You're already ahead of me. Okay. Have been saved. Mm-hmm. Are being saved. Will be saved. Oh, that's good. Okay. Your spirit has been. Your soul is being and your body one day will be. The Bible says that, and we mentioned it already when we talked about uh, Soma body, but that when your physical mortal body puts on immortality one day in the future, that at that point your salvation will be complete. Okay? Meaning what? Meaning what Jesus bought and paid for you as he bled to death naked on a cross over 2,000 years ago now, um, is you know the, the, the new birth of your spirit obviously is the key player in all of this. But the same blood that was shed for your spirit to be born again was shed so that your mind can be renewed, your, your emotional aspect can be not only restored and whole, but uh, full of joy, full of peace. Um, and then obviously we see that healing for the physical body um, is for today don't you dare believe a denomination that tells you that it's not such a such a bogus lie from the pits of hell um, but your salvation will be complete one day when this mortal puts on immortality when you receive a body that is comparable to the born-again spirit that already resides in the body that you have right now father god put a treasure his treasure in your earthen vessel that's just straight up good news right there Am i house to get any more excited about that okay so watch this philippians 1 tells us okay he who began good work in you anybody remember this verse will be faithful to complete it into the coming of our lord and savior jesus christ so what he started in you he started in your born again spirit and then from there he is now working at whatever level of cooperation you will give him to help renew your mind to who you became the day you became a new creation. That the inward reality of your new birth can actually become an outward expression of life. So the zoe that flows from God into your born-again spirit, notice if it's ever going to make its way into your life reality, which would, would be in and flowing through your soma, your flesh, it's got to pass through your mind. It's got to pass through your thinking. And as I told you last week, your soul is best understood. I say best understood. I, I don't know if that's the right way of saying it, but is, it is, it's important for you anyway to understand your soul as a valve um, which can either open up uh, things of the Spirit to flow through you into your physical life reality, or it can shut those things off. But remember, Jesus used terminology like, in you a fountain, in you rivers. And, and that's talking about in your born-again spirit. And, and so these things flowing through your life. That's why we commented uh, for some time last week how most people on planet Earth are trying to live exactly backwards. They're looking for all the answers somewhere on the outside of them and trying to get those things to flow into them. When God put all the answers on the inside of you and he's trying to teach you how to allow those answers to flow from you and through you, okay? Man, this is so important, right? So happiness is not somewhere out there trying to be found, right? Joy is something that lives and dwells inside of you, right? And so it's learning how to allow the joy of the Lord that resides in you, that's your birthright, okay? As a child of God, to have the joy of the Lord in your life and in your heart and and flowing through you and and outward and, and infecting other people, amen? The peace of God that passes all understanding, peace that don't make sense. All of these things belong to you. They're new birth realities. They're, they're yours. They're, in, they're deposited by God in your spirit. Amen. But a lot of people never experience those in their soul or in their uh, outward physical life reality because their mind right stays so confused and their mind stays so focused on the past, on negative things, and we just go on and on with that. That that it's it's there it's that reality in them, but it's something that is never experienced. And here's another word for you, or enjoyed. It's never experienced, or it's never enjoyed. Okay, so let me um, praise God. Let's let's look at a few other verses here. Second um, Corinthians chapter four verse sixteen. This is one of my favorites. I got a lot of favorites. Okay. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. In other words, losing heart would, would be discouraged, right? Okay, losing heart would be frustrated, and why is this not working out for me, and I might as well give up and go home and blah, blah, blah. No, he says, no, no, we, we don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now, what we see, and we'll probably get back to it before we're done next week, but 2 Corinthians 5 talks about no longer regarding other people, um, humans, amen, <laughs> uh, according to their outward appearance, according to their flesh, right? Because the earthen vessel that I see sitting in these chairs in front of me, okay, it cannot tell the whole story of what's true about you inwardly. See, we, because we're so focused on one-dimensional thinking or flesh-first thinking, we, we tend to sum people up and judge people and base people's potential upon what we can see when we look at them with our physical eyes. Somebody tell me, wh- wh- where does God look? Does God look at the outward appearance? He looks at the heart. See, He knows what's true about you inwardly. And what we're called to do as ministers of reconciliation is to help draw out of other believers what's in them inwardly. That's why the Bible says to provoke one another. Did you know that? But not what we think in terms of provoking one another. We think of provoking somebody as like, you know, just getting them really angry so they, you know, throw something at us, you know, and we, and we duck and dodge it and then laugh about it. No. He says provoke one another to good works. Amen. So in the same way that you can provoke someone uh, and influence someone to do something they shouldn't do. um, I'm not proud of the times in my life when I've done that, but we've all, I think, done it on on one level or to some degree or another. But he's saying that now we have the capacity to to stir up good within people and help draw that out. Okay. now we will come back to this verse, um, but we've commented on it in. Previous classes, I want you to think about what he's saying here. Um, we do not lose heart. That's speaking of the inward part. And, and the heart here obviously is the spirit and the soul. But remember, the component of your heart that would become discouraged and quit would be what your mind, your, the soulish part of your heart, your thinking, your emotions, where we don't have a lot of um, emotional endurance. Remember we talked about emotions and how emotions have to be strengthened and they and they're built through endurance and you can't go buy a pound of peace and 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 a pound of patience and and these kinds of things. All right. So if we were going to give up and quit and lose heart, it would be the emotional mental component of our heart as opposed to the spirit component. Okay. Remember, your born-again spirit it, it knows what God knows. It it it's it's one with him. Um, it, it, it's sitting on G, waiting on O. I mean, you're born again spirits, right? That's the part of you that can't wait to get to a class. As we're going to get up early and pray. That's the part of you that that, that wants to help other people and do and, and, and these sorts of things. Right? Now, sometimes that part of us gets overridden by our thoughts, by our feelings. Well, I'll do it next time, and I'll feel like whatever, you know, and our flesh, laziness, and so forth and so on. But man, there's a part of you. Come on now, if you if you come in contact with that part of you, are you aware of that part of you? It's it's raring and ready to go for Jesus, right? Um, whatever you say sir I'm yours to command sir yes sir sir yes sir you know but then there's these other parts of us right that are like well but you know I mean we're kind of tired it's been a long day blah 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 so he says that there's a part of us that is perishing and what we know about the human body is that you know every cell that's in it right now wasn't in it you know in the past they're in the constant state of regeneration but we reach a certain age, to where our cells regenerate and replenish themselves a little bit slower than they used to, and not quite as perfectly as um, they once did. And we call that aging. We call that getting older. All right. And so the outward part of you, the soma part of you, the body part of you, the sarks part of you, okay, that part of you is uh, is perishing. It's getting older. Okay. That's why, um, you know, wrinkles and hair turns gray, so forth and so on, okay? But he says there's another part of you that we can't see necessarily with the physical eye, but he says that part of you is not in a a state of not gradually getting older and slower, but that part of you is in a constant state of, of renewal. It's in a constant state of regeneration. Now, let me tell you why this passage is so important, all right? And, man, I'm feeling compelled to, like, try to do something really silly or something to make sure I got your attention, because this is important, okay? He's, he's saying here, then, that one person can have two different realities taking place in their existence at the same time, okay? So, big words like mayonnaise now, simultaneously opposing realities, Right Now, why, why is this important? Okay, let me put this drawing back up on the screen. All right. So I think it's pretty clear what part of us is in decline. That would be the, the physical body, the body part of us. All right, But he says there's another part of you, the inward man, again, can't see that part. That part's in a state of renewal. It's being renewed day by day. It's not getting a little older as days go by. It's getting newer and fresher and stronger and wiser and, and, and on and on and on. Now, so let's go back to it. Remember, those three, spirit, soul, and body, we draw it that way. I don't think I gave you this uh, background story the other day. Um, it's probably been, I don't know, over 20 years ago now. I, uh, I had a young man in my office and I was trying to, he was born again, but he was struggling in some areas in his flesh and 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 you know he kept saying well i'm this and i'm that according to his behavior and i kept trying to explain to him the difference between his born again spirit and what he was struggling with in the flesh and i could just tell it wasn't like you know under my breath like lord help me and so um you know it was one of those like back of the envelope moments I just grabbed an envelope and I scribbled out three stick men, and under one I wrote spirit, under the other wrote soul, the other one I wrote body, and turned it around on the desk, you know, and began to use that to explain to him um, and help him see more clearly. So obviously, you know, what we have on the screen now is an upgrade um, from the three, you know, pitiful little stick men that I drew all those years ago. But just to help orient you, and you probably got it already, you know, we're looking at three, but remember, that's one person just spread out, you know, dissected so that you can have a visual of, you know, the three dimensions. But what we're talking about now is, is one person, one existence, okay? And so you've got one person that's experiencing incline, increase in their life while at the same time experiencing decrease. So why, why is that so important? Well, it's because the Bible has all, things to, all kinds of things to say about your born-again spirit that are true about you right now, with realities. For example, the Bible says that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been made. Notice the past tense there, All right. So what happens with a lot of folks, and I'll put this back up, have been made, that's speaking of your born-again spirit, okay? Well, that means you're right with God in the eyes of God, just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus, because you were given Jesus' righteousness. That's the gift that you were given. That's the righteousness that you've been made. It's the greatest gift, perhaps, that you will ever be given outside of the gift that you were given to make that gift available to you, the gift of His Son. Okay? Now stay with me. I know it's like, well, that don't make sense to me. How can I you're making the point for me. You're ahead of me and you're making the point for me. Because see, we look at our behavior which is taking place where in our flesh, and we look at things we struggle with, we look at things maybe we've said that we shouldn't have said, things that we've thought today in our minds that we shouldn't have thought, unrighteous, unholy thoughts, unrighteous, unholy behavior. And based upon our thinking and based upon our behaving, we come to the conclusion that there's no way I could be just as right before God in the eyes of God as Jesus because of how I've behaved today and things that I've thought today. Notice now what's happening. We're thinking because of our actions and because of our thoughts that somehow this overrides or cancels out the work of God at the new birth. Okay, And so because how could we be holy and righteous, and still be struggling with areas of unholiness and unrighteousness in our lives. Do you see why it's so important to understand spirit, soul, and body have been made righteous, are learning how to live righteously, and that righteousness is beginning to show up in our life reality. Now, if you've ever struggled with any kind of addictive behavior, which is basically everybody that I'm talking to right now, okay, um, whether it's uh, fentanyl or it's uh, Krispy Kreme doughnuts or cigarettes or pornography or, or what have you, okay? Um, you know, we we look at the things that we struggle with in the flesh, and and we think, well, you know, there's you know, there's no way I could be righteous because I'm I'm having all these these issues, and how about this? There's no way I could be free, right? Um, because I'm I'm still living like someone who is bound by sin. I'm still living like someone who's a slave to sin. Okay? But now, watch this. Watch this very carefully. I keep walking away from this microphone. I'm not trying to do that to y'all watching online, okay? I'm going to talk loud for the microphone, not the people in the room, all right? How about this in John 8? Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, notice the word make, have been made the righteousness. If the Son makes you free... You shall be free indeed. Indeed means free in your performed action. Well, you perform actions on the earth in your flesh. But Jesus, in his beautiful and infinite wisdom, God, in their beautiful and infinite wisdom, okay, they recognized that we could never effectively live a righteous, free life. Unless they first made us right and free. Are you seeing this? Until he makes you right and free, you have no wherewithal to live a righteous or a free life. See, religion's only interested in your behavior, religion's really only interested in you making them look good. That's why religion will op- most religious people, will open your, their arms to you when you're beat down, busted and broken, and coming to their altar to get saved. Because when you're coming to their altar to get saved, you're making them look good. But when you still struggle with some of the things you struggle with before you got saved, now you're making them look bad. I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody that's been down that road, right? Well, this isn't, that is not an accurate reflection of, of your Heavenly Father, nor is it an accurate reflection of what He's done in your life. Okay? So if the Son makes you free, how is it that the Son makes you free? You call upon His name. It's part of your salvation package. He makes you free. He makes you just as free from sin as Jesus is free from sin, and He makes you just as right before Him in His eyes as Je- not gives it to you, He makes you that. Okay? You say, well, if He made me free, why am I still living uh, as a slave to sin? You're still living as a slave to sin even though the Son's made you free because you haven't yet learned how to think like a free man or woman. You still think like somebody who's addicted. You still think like somebody who is a slave to sin. You still think like the old person you were instead of the new person you became. So no wonder we live like the old person we were instead of the new person we became. That's why the true target of discipleship is not the Spirit. And the true target of discipleship, believe it or not, is not your behavior, your actions. The true target of discipleship is your soul, is your thinking, is your, it's your, it's your emotional expression, your feelings, and ultimately your choices. Are you seeing this? This is where we grow up into Jesus. Now, I'm going to comment on this more next week and i don't want to i don't want to offend you and you not come back because you know i'm not teaching it like you're the 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 denomination you grew up in teaches it okay prompted me on this and i should have done it way while ago uh and 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 i appreciate him continuing to kind of nudge me inwardly um any anybody uh ever bought a house or know anything about buying a house okay have you ever heard, um, for those of you who've never bought a house or maybe don't know a lot about buying a house, have you ever heard the expression earnest money? Earnest money. Yes. Okay. So, what is earnest money? Earnest money is like, let's say, you find a house and and and, and you want to buy that house, and you put a contract on that house, In other words, you make a formal offer to buy that house from the seller. And with that contract, you're gonna include a check made out either to the seller or to the seller's realty company um, for, and it varies, but let's just do a nice round number of $1,000, okay? So you have submitted the contract, and with the contract, you have written a check out to the seller for $1,000 earnest money. What does that mean? You're telling that seller, listen, I am initiating something. I'm initiating a transaction with you. And I am so serious about seeing this transaction through to completion that I'm putting $1,000 on the line. Should I back out of the deal, you get to keep my $1,000. That's earnest money. okay? And so what it does is it says to the seller, I am committed to seeing this through to the end. And if I do not see it through to the end, you get to keep my earnest money, okay? Now, when you were born again, your heavenly Father made a commitment to you to see your salvation through to the end. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, okay? And He was so serious and wanted you to know that He was so serious to see it through to the end, all the way through to the day you stand before Him one day, and He hugged you as a child instead of backhanding you out of heaven. He made a deposit in you, okay? He gave you His Holy Spirit, the Bible says, as earnest money, okay? Meaning what? Meaning He's so serious to see it through to the end that He put the third member of the Trinity inside of you and made the third member of the Trinity one with your newly born again Spirit. And if He backs out of the deal and doesn't see your salvation through to the end, right? He loses the Holy Spirit. And that ain't happening. Praise God. Amen. Okay? Alright? Now, there's a lot of things like this that religion never tells you. Because one of the things that religion works upon is is it plays upon people's fears. Religion tries to scare the H-E-double hockey sticks out of you. Religion tries to scare you straight. Religion tries to, to use guilt and shame and, and condemnation and other types of fear tactics to try to shame you and guilt you and scare you and condemn you into doing right. Okay, That is not... Father's ways. As a matter of fact, Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to set you free from guilt and fear and shame and condemnation. And none of those things are in my toolbox because none of those things are in his toolbox. Are you following me? Okay. But see, when when religion tries to to startle you and scare you i i was teaching these things many many years ago here at heritage and there was a family that i love so dearly and um and they left the church over it because they, they disagreed with it completely disagreed with it and the mother actually told me when i and listen their friends you know amen she's in heaven now actually um but um you know, they actually had the courtesy to come and meet with me. And a lot of people just, you know, ghost you and never see them again, you know, as a pastor. But but anyway, they had the, the courtesy and the decency as friends and people that I love and love me to let me know, hey, we're out of here because we, we can't deal with this. And I'm like, well, what in the Bible that I've taught so far do you disagree with? I mean, what verse of Scripture that I've used, you know, and, and I don't mean this arrogantly, just just if you would, please, I was raised Southern Baptist and for you know, first 12 years and nine months of my life, so to speak, 11 years, nine months of my life. And then I was in the Assemblies of God, Church of God. I did a lot of ministry in Methodist churches. and other was I've got a I've got, I know a lot about denominations and what their beliefs are and that, and that sort of thing. And the sad thing about it is I knew their argument against the truth better than they did. I don't mean that, I don't mean that ugly. I mean, cause I used to argue their side of it. Okay. Back in my Pentecostal days when I believed you could actually lose your salvation. Okay. Um, and I'm like, well, so what do you disagree with, and, and, and so forth and so on. And finally, the mother just came out and said, you know what she told me? She says, I want my children to be scared to mess up. I want my children to be scared that they're going to go to hell. And I'm like, well, you know, sister, well, all, I, all I can do is pray for you. You know what I'm saying? Because that's, that's, that's ridiculous, okay, as, as, as Tigger would say. So he, he didn't just say... Uh, well you saved today, but you know, we'll see about it later. We'll you know, where the jury's still out, you know, we'll, No, no. He's like, Listen, you're mine now. Amen. And and I have put my name in you. I have put a new spirit in you, and then I'll put my spirit in you, and my spirit and your new spirit, the real you, right? Now, however much of the real you is ever realized in your life reality, well that's depends on how much you're going to cooperate with the holy spirit Amen. for that inward reality to become an outward expression of life okay but jesus didn't say okay you're born again but if it never shows up in your thinking and behavior uh then uh, i'm i'm through with you no absolutely not absolutely absolutely not how about, how about this I- Somebody's pulling this out of me because somebody needs to hear this, okay? But how about this? Jesus said John the Baptist was was the greatest prophet born of a woman. His ministry is recorded in the opening pages of the New Testament, but he was actually, you know, the passing of of the baton from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And when Jesus said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest prophet born of a woman, okay, he didn't stop there. He said, But he who is least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. Now, watch this. <clears throat> Greatest prophet born of a woman versus a human being who has been born of God's Spirit. You see the difference here. Because the only way to be in the kingdom is to be born again, John 3. Okay, Now, in other places, though, Jesus tells us what the least person in the kingdom looks like. This is a man or woman who's been born again, but still breaks the commandments and teaches other people to break them. Now you see, religion will tell you that person's going to be drop kicked into hell first. That's not, that's not what Jesus taught us. Now I'm getting super duper way ahead of myself now, but religion tells me that I should not teach people these things. Because we will use them as an excuse to sin. Well, that's just a bunch of hogwash. When have we ever needed an excuse to sin that we couldn't find one without a Bible verse? Okay? Right? But here here is the beautiful thing about all this. Okay? Titus 2 says that it's the grace of God. And that's what I'm talking about right now is the grace of God, the goodness of God to you. Undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. That His grace will teach you to live righteously and soberly in this present evil world. John chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. He goes on to say, why should we be called the children of God? Because now we are children of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know this. When we stand face to face with Jesus, we will look just like Him because we're just like Him now because we were born of His seed. Now here's the last part, verse 3. You ready? Whoever has this confident expectation in his or her heart, guess what they'll do? That person will purify their lives even as Christ is pure. See, religion tries to motivate us to live right again with fear, guilt, shame, condemnation. That is not, that is not how Father God operates. And it's, and let me tell you why it doesn't operate that way. It's because you're not created to operate that way. You're not hardwired that way. Watch this now very carefully. When has a threat of punishment ever stopped us from doing something we wanted to do? Never? Never? I've seen people, all they had to do was stay at the foundry about nine more months, and, and they would have got to skip out on a five, eight, in one case, it was nearly 10-year prison sentence. All they had to do, just stay there, right? But what did they do? They didn't, they didn't do that, right? They bolted. Amen. Threat, a huge threat hanging over their heads, okay? It's because that's, that may work on a, on a short run, But that is not how we were created to function. Are you seeing this? How were we created to function? Love, grace, goodness, mercy. See, the threat of punishment will not motivate you anywhere near like a promise of reward. God is a rewarder, the Bible says, of those who diligently seek Him. Amen. So the very thing that religion tells, tells people like me that I shouldn't tell people who come to classes to learn and grow is about the grace of God because you know, once they find out that you know, their salvation is not teetering on the edge of, of their behavior and performance, they'll bolt to, to rush back into their sin. Well, I disagree with that. It's when we know the truth about the great love that God has for us and how much we mean to him and the price that he was willing to pay so we could experience him and his love, right? This is what encourages us and motivates us. Um, There was a young lady, and I tell this story. I may have already told it this year, but I I don't think any of you have heard it. Um, She was at the foundry, and um, she was watching The Passion of the Christ, and um, we were uh, beating Jesus, and we know that he took those stripes on his back so that we could be physically healthy. By his stripes we were healed. Notice the past tense there. We were healed. Okay, and um, and in the middle of that, obviously, that's to me is one of the most emotional parts of that whole movie. Um, and uh, I was when I saw that for the first time, I was in a theater, and I was trying not to disturb the people around me, but I was very emotional, crying. And 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 this is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me, um, or what Father spoke to my heart through the Holy Spirit. He says. And I can't even get most of my ministers to preach healing. That's how much it meant to him for us to be physically whole and well and strong, right? And now you've got, uh, you know, a lot of God's people, uh, ministers, pastors, prophets, evangelists, they, they won't even talk about physical healing, much less lay hands on people and pray for the sick. Okay. So this part's unfolding in the movie, and obviously a very emotional moment, and it's kind of quiet in the room. I wasn't there. She jumped to her feet, and at the top of her lungs she said, I'll never smoke another cigarette. And she sat back down. Well, you think, well, what in the world? What was that all about? In other words, it wasn't somebody telling her she would go to hell for smoking cigarettes, okay? That motivated her to quit. When she realized how much her physical health and well-being meant to her loving Savior. How precious her physical health was to Him that He would pay such a price so she could be physically healthy But she committed herself in that moment to never smoke cigarettes again because of their, their, uh, the health, negative health effects that it has on the human body. So that's a classic example of the grace of God teaching you to live righteously. Okay? It's because she realized, man, He loved me this much to do this for me. The least I can do is not put these things in my body that are going to detract from my physical health and well being. All right? Now, Hebrews 10 and 14. Praise God. Down payment. Don't forget it. Father is committed. He didn't put a thousand dollars down on your salvation and because he's just a multi gazillionaire. And if you don't get, if, you know, if you get too much for him to handle, he'll just forfeit the down payment and go on to somebody else. No, the earnest of your salvation is the Holy Spirit Himself, third third person of God Himself. Right? Hebrews ten and fourteen. Now this is another interesting verse. For by one offering. This is speaking of the offering of Jesus' body and blood for our salvation. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Pay close attention to the verb tenses here. Has perfected forever. Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? So he's talking about a past completed work. He has perfected forever forever. Now he says those who are being sanctified. Are being is present tense. This is talking about something progressive. This is talking about something that's ongoing right now. So according to this verse, he says those who have been born again are a perfect work in progress. Well, how can you be both? I mean, you're either perfected and don't need any work Or you need work and you're not perfected. But how can you have been perfected forever? How long have you been perfected? I mean forever or just forever till you sin again and you're no longer perfected? Forever. Forever. So forever means what forever, right? So has perfected forever those who are being sanctified? Well, you know, I'm going to put the drawing back up here, okay? I think you already got it figured out, but let's make sure that you do, okay? So what part, which, which one of those dudes or dudettes on the screen there, which, which part do you think has been perfected forever? Your body? Spirit. Your spirit, right? Amen. That's the real you. That's the part of you that has been born again, born of an incorruptible seed a second time. So that's the part that's um, the real you, and that part has been perfected forever. It is a past completed work. It is perfected. Perfected means complete. That's why the Bible says you're complete in Him. Quit singing along with those silly songs on Christian radio that talk about how broke we are, how broken we are, how pitiful we are. No, that's not who you are. That's not who you are. But that part of you has been perfected forever. But your soul, mind, emotions, and will, this is where we are being sanctified. Our bodies, we're being set apart. To be sanctified means to be set apart from one thing unto another. So the the dishes we use at Christmas are sanctified from the 4th of July for Christmas. Meaning what? Meaning we don't eat on the Christmas china uh, barbecue ribs on the 4th of July. But we do eat Christmas dinner on Christmas Day on those dishes. So to be set apart means set apart from one thing, one purpose, unto another. So our being sanctified speaks of God's ongoing work in our soul and in our body where we be, we're being set apart from, uh, from old thought patterns. How about old automatic thoughts? Automatic thoughts are when, you know, one thing triggers another and we respond automatically. Well, that's the renewing or the reconditioning of the mind where we're now developing new automatic thoughts, where, where it's not four letter words of death and, and cursing that come out of our mouth when something goes wrong. But we begin to speak the word. We begin to give thanks. We begin to uh, look to God in, in the middle of situations and, 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 and crises in our lives. So the renewing of the mind, we're, we're now because, remember, thoughts produce emotions. Thoughts generate emotions. So now as our minds are being renewed, we're beginning to experience uh, new levels of positive emotions and the vicious cycle of dominant negative emotions being produced by wrong and negative thinking. That cycle is being broken in our lives. It's being, it's being produced. But these things don't happen overnight. This is a progressive, ongoing work, Okay. And it's extremely important for you to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in these efforts. Now, somebody asked me after class last week, it might have been after class, it might have been the following morning. And then some folks online asked me uh, the same question via a phone call. And so let's, let's talk about something, um, I mean, it's a little premature, but Let's do it now, okay, while we're on it. And if we mention it again, it'll just be a reinforcement uh, next week, okay? Um, when I begin to realize how thorough and how complete and how perfect forever the work that God did in my born-again spirit really is, and all that became true about me the day I became a new creation in Christ Jesus, remember he said, old things are gone they are passed away and behold take a long and thoughtful look all things are new remember now your body was not born again your soul was not born again he's talking about your spirit that's where everything old is gone dead and buried and it's all been made new new spirit becoming one with god's spirit and and as i begin to realize and understand that and then i also begin to realize and understand how important it is for my mind to be renewed and for me to think like somebody who's been like somebody who's been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. For me to think like somebody who is free and and righteous and holy and prosperous and wise. OK, um, I asked the Lord, I, I said, Lord, I said, why didn't you just go ahead and do in my mind what you did in my spirit? I mean, we, we could have got this over with pretty quick, you know. And sometimes, you know, um, I'll have questions and long conversations, and I've had questions that I had to grow up into for the Lord to answer, and so forth and so on. But on this particular day, I don't mean an audible voice, but, but in my heart, in my spirit, because um, that's where He lives. He lives in my spirit, right? Um, when I asked Him that question, it was almost an immediate answer, and and it was uh, somewhat uh, precise and poetic, even when He when He said. He said, your mind represents a sacred line that I, if your mind is ever going to change, you are going to have to cooperate with me in the changing of it. And what he began to show me is that this is the part of us where free will comes into play. Right. Um, Somewhere in my notes, I got the verses. uh, Let's see here. Amen. Um, we'll get to them in a minute. Praise God. But The Bible says your spirit and your body belong to the Lord. Okay? Spirit and body belong to the Lord. So who does your soul belong to? <laughs> it's supposed to belong to you. Um, sometimes we, uh, when we say sell our soul, it might be better to say we sell it out. Um. You know that—that's really the anatomy of, of addiction for uh, a born again man or woman. It's it's when some other thing or some other substance, um, pretty much possesses their thoughts, and their thoughts are consumed, are consumed by that thing. Okay, you still with me? Yeah, All right. right. And um, so when we talk about the mind, that's the part that remains yours and you, so to speak, OK? And so if, um, if God wanted us to be programmed robots, you, you follow what I'm saying? I mean, he could have created a being and then installed software in the hardware of our physical body to where it would have been impossible for us to ever do anything wrong and only possible for us to do right. But as we've discussed in previous classes, he created us for a love relationship with himself. And for it to be genuine love, there has to be a genuine choice. If we have no choice, then it's not real love. If we love God and have no choice to do anything else, then that's not the kind of love. Love is, has an element of surrender and, and, and free will and freely offered Uh, to Him. When you can do anything you want to do with your life and you choose to do what pleases Him with your life, this is what glorifies God. This This is what He wants from you. But if you don't have a choice to do anything else with your life other than what He wants you to do, then because there's no choice in it, it doesn't bring Him the kind of satisfaction that it does when you actually choose and could have done something else. Yes. Um, next May, when I get to this class again. No, I can't. I'm kidding. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I love it when y'all take notes, okay? I like to take notes myself. I've got notes and notes upon notes. Notes sometimes keep up with notes, okay? Writing something down is, is important, all right? Kings in the Old Testament, they were told, God told them, get you a pen and a, and, a, and some papyrus or whatever they wrote on and you handwrite your own copy of 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 the old testament of the of the law right um and so writing it is very very important so thank y'all for doing that but let's not miss I don't know if I can say it exactly the way I just said it okay but the con- the, the the concept is um you know if 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 somebody like Let's say let's say you're in an abusive relationship, and if you don't tell the person that you love them, they're going to beat your brains in. You know, they're going to, they're going to beat you to a pulp. I love you. I love you. Yes, I love you. I really love you. I love you. Well, that that is that that's not love. There's not. In other words, love has to be freely offered. It, 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 there has to be a choice, right? And 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 so you know, Father created us to 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 have a love relationship. Remember, God's an eternal community um existing in absolute communion and and he invited you and me to be a part of that community with him um and so that's that's the choice you see adam fell from a very high place but but the second adam the last adam jesus he restored us to a place even higher than the one the first adam fell from because he restored us to a place from which we can't fall now, again, that's going to make a lot of people angry. Some folks just about broke their finger trying to get me off their phone. How dare him say that, right? Um, but, you know, when, when he made us one with himself, are, are you following, right? And so I believe the reason he didn't create Adam that way but recreated us with that level of, of union with him is because he wanted that level of union with him to be a choice. In other words, if he created Adam... To be one with himself forever and Adam couldn't choose to end that relationship? Well, even then, there's, Adam didn't have a choice in that. We, we have a choice. I know it may be a bizarre correlation, but remember what Jesus said to Thomas? He said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have never seen. They've never put their fingers in the holes in my hands and feet inside, but still believe. Right? And it was because I'm not saying that Thomas's belief didn't mean something to the Lord, but it didn't mean nearly as much to him as those of us who have never physically seen him or felt the scars in his hands and feet, and yet we still believe, right? This is, is next-level um, uh, stuff. And so the fact that we can choose other things and other priorities and other interests, um listen, let's just bring it break it down, okay? You guys could be doing something else tonight. Those of you watching online, you could be watching Andy Griffith 3 runs or whatever it is, binging on Netflix or but you you chose as as Jesus um said to 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 Martha about her sister Mary. Mary's chosen um the better thing. You she's chosen that which can't be taken away from her. But it's a choice, right? I mean, it's a choice. And so when it comes then to the mind, it's not like we're just going to go to sleep, you know, um, even think in one way and wake up with the inability to think that way any longer and can only think this way. Um, the renewing of the mind is an ongoing process that we can, uh, you know, expedite by our level of cooperation and participation, okay, or it's like what we see in Hebrews 5. Uh, the, the writer of Hebrews speaks to people there who had been born again, saved for a long, long, long time. He said, you've been saved long enough. You've been in the church long enough. You ought to be teaching other people by now. But you still need somebody to go back and teach you the basics. You, you still need a bottle with some milk when you should have graduated to not just eating meat, but preparing meat and serving it to other people by now. Okay, so notice these are folks who who have not chosen to cooperate. They not they don't take advantage of the opportunities um, that God puts in their lives to come to classes like this, um, to read uh, books that God's inspired people to write, to spend time in the Word, to spend time in prayer, to develop that 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 fellowship with God and with His Holy Spirit and with His Holy Word, um, and and actually you, you know. St- study the scriptures and, and make notes as you study and ask God questions and ask your leaders questions. and, and see all of, all of these things, you're, you're you know, confessing the word, spending time in worship, all of these things that, that we do can either accelerate the renewing of our minds and help us grow spiritually and develop spiritually, or we can choose not to cooperate and remain as spiritual infants for decade upon decade upon decade. So, you know, that that's I don't know if I said what you was looking for me to say, but it's it's the it's the, OK, good. Thank you for the thumbs up there. But it's it's the. Um, you know, it's this idea that, again, let's go back to God, why did not you just do in my mind what you did in my spirit? You know, he, listen, I passed from death to life and I was born again. I passed from death to life in the twinkling of an eye. I was a dead man, and then I became alive. I had no Zoe, then I had it, right? I became a new creation in, in a split second, right? Um, you know, things in the spirit travel at the speed of, of light or faster, okay? And and so what God did in my spirit, it to say it was instant is not even fast enough, okay? But now we come to the soul. We come to the mind, emotions, and will, and... And it's not that he isn't able, but it's the fact that if it's gonna change, I've got to cooperate and be a part of the process, right? So we just sit there and scroll through a thousand channels on the TV, or we sleep in on Sundays or, you know, and never spend time in the word, um, or spend time reading things from authors that don't know um, Holy Ghost and unknown tongues from a hole in the ground or what, you know, and so, you know, we. Anyway, we get indoctrinated by religiousized thinking and so forth and so on. And, you know, so remember he said desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And so desire who chooses what you want, who chooses what you go after, who chooses what you make a priority in your life. You choose that. You choose what you treasure. So. Amen. I hope it don't sound like I'm fussing. I'm not. I'm just I get passionate about this because you know, we're just leaving a lot on the table that we could be experiencing and enjoying. That it's ours, you know, um, things that we've been given, things that we were capable of doing. But for whatever reason, we we um, have not grown up into those things quite yet. So by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Okay? So, um... The world has a saying that, uh, and it it probably is the epitome of one-dimensional thinking. And um, I probably need to look the saying up because I probably say it different or backwards or wrong every time, but you'll you'll get the meaning, and that's all that really matters, I guess. If it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's most likely probably a duck. And it's sad to me because that's how a lot of people try to assess whether or not a person's even born again, right? If it walks like, acts like, talks like, whatever, that must be what it is. See, that's that's one-dimensional thinking. That's just looking at somebody's outward part. If you've been born again, there's a part of you, the real you, that's been perfected forever already. I mean, if you could, if you were born again in this room and you could step out of your body right now, I'd be looking at a room. Full of Jesus's doth not yet appear. What we shall be when we see Him? Who are we going to be like? We're going to be just like Him, right? Because we were born of His seed. We're already like Him at the spirit level, of our of our being. Christ in you, the hope of glory. We could go. I mean, verse after verse after verse there. Okay. Now let me let me give you just a, another couple of verses that I think. Deserve some time tonight. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39. Hebrews 10 and 39. Praise the name of the living God. If that was picking up on the mic, those of you listening, I was drinking water. That wasn't a cricket in the room. Okay, I was slurping water. All right, says this, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition. But those who believe to the saving of the soul. Perdition means to miss out, and there is a spectrum of missing out, okay? Perdition even is sometimes used uh, as a uh, synonym for hell itself, okay? That's the ultimate missing out of things, all right? But notice drawing back. What do you, when you draw back, right? Drawback's when you go so far, then you, you pull back from your commitment. You, you're like, man, I'm going to do this. I'm going here. I'm going to study this. I'm going to learn that. But you never follow through on that. So drawing back is the opposite of forging ahead or following through. The path of least resistance leads where? Always leads to an inferior life. And so drawing back to perdition would be taking that path of least resistance and missing out on the other end of that spectrum, we'd be missing, missing out on God's highest and best um, for your life. But notice he says, but instead of those who draw back and and do not follow through, we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you got two you got two groups of people, right? You got the people who draw back and you got the people who don't. Okay. Or we say it another way. You got the people who push on through resistance. And you got the people who take the path of least resistance. Amen. So who are we? We're, we're not those who take the path of least resistance. We're those who believe to the saving of the soul. Right? Now, I hope that what we've talked about so far is putting you in a position to realize that this is not necessarily talking about um, the, the saving of the Spirit. The new birth is the spirit being born again, but who believe to the saving of the soul. This is speaking of that ongoing progressive work. You, you know, we... Part of... Let me, let me try to... I have to watch myself. I can get bogged down here. There's a lot of uh, minutiae, detail, whatever, you know, specifics. Um, sometimes... Sometimes, and I'm not trying to confuse you, but this will help you. Let's just get the broader picture here. Have you ever heard like, um, they'll talk about like a plane crash, and they'll give the, the count of people, there were 43 souls on board. Anybody ever heard that terminology? Okay. So in that case, soul is being used to just speak of a person. It's in itself. Okay. Not that we're going to correct the newscaster, but it's like, no, sir, there were 47 spirits, souls, and bodies on board. Okay, um, And then there are other times when um, the word spirit is used to speak more of an attitude. Like if there's a Marine in the room um, or listening, watching online, my father's a Marine, okay? The Marine Corps has something called spree de corps, the spirit of the corps. And what that's referring to is how a Marine carries himself or herself. Okay. So sometimes, you know, we hear spirit and it doesn't necessarily mean real you, okay. Um, And same with soul. And so that's why these things get confused in preaching and teaching and remember the only scalpel sharp enough to cut and separate the part that spirit from the part that soul is the word of god and so here the word of god is making a cut it's not speaking of the new birth and your spirit being born again here he's talking about what some term soul salvation and this is the ongoing progressive work of the renewing of the mind as it reflects in uh, the emotions and then ultimately the choices, all right? Here's another one, James 1 and 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls, okay? Now, we have to receive the word of God in order to be saved. How can they hear Unless somebody tells them, how can they go and tell them You know, unless they're sent? And so we hear the message, the good news of salvation, and we believe and call upon the name of the Lord and we receive salvation. But the same word that brings salvation is also the same word that is critically essential to the renewing of the mind, which is to see the salvation that has already been received and has already taken place, perfected forever at the spirit level of our existence, then uh, begin to work and transform us at the um, soul level, soul dimension of our existence. Now, we mentioned this verse a moment ago, these verses, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Notice it doesn't say he will be, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He didn't say they will pass over time. They will become new over time. No, he's talking about what's already been perfected forever at the spirit level of your existence. Now, all things are of God. If you read it tomorrow, it'll still say now. If you read it tomorrow, it won't say yesterday all things were of God. If you read it tomorrow it'll say now all things are of God who has reconciled who has reconciled who has reconciled to reconcile means to be restored back into close relationship close fellowship with who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation so you've been so thoroughly reconciled to God that you have been given the ministry of Helping others be reconciled to Him, Amen. I feel some of you getting a little weary. We've covered a lot tonight. Y'all good? Amen. Can can we push push through for another few minutes? Amen. Some of us got a worship service and sermon after this one. I know you ladies have to get back uh, to the husscow. Amen. So, um, Amen. Holy Spirit. I think I think you know Paul. Um, I don't, I don't know how long he preached that night, but the Bible says he had preached until midnight. And um, was it Eutychus that fell asleep in the window, I believe was his name? Uh, he was sitting in the window, and he fell asleep and fell out of the window, hit the floor and died, hit the ground and died. And, of course, Paul went down and raised him up, and everybody was... The Bible says, and they were not a little comforted. Um, <laughs> obviously, you know. Um, there's a sermon in that, by the way, about if he had been leaning in... Um, like you're leaning in tonight, when he fell asleep, he'd have just fell on the floor and embarrassed himself. But because he was leaning out when he fell. Right? Amen? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to fall, but if you're going to fall, fall leaning in. Okay. Amen. 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 Amen? Fall leaning in. And and least it'll do is just kind of those in the room will like, oh, man, she fell asleep. Somebody help her up. Right? Amen. Okay? Amen? So I don't know how long uh, Paul had preached. You know, I, we know Jesus would start, it, you know, the beginning of the Old Testament, go all the way through it. You know, and so, um, <laughs> but I think that's what Paul was talking about. That we, one of the things he was talking about, that we would be strengthened with might in the inner man. You know, um, I said earlier, your spirit's sitting on G, waiting on O. I mean, it's it's go go go, right? But then it comes to that mental part, our ability to to stay mentally focused. Um, for more than five minutes. Are you hearing me? I mean, obviously, you're here. I think that's one of the reasons more people don't come to this class. Um, again, it's, if it was a 30 minute class, we'd probably have twice as many folks that would come, but it's like, man, you know, I, I, what do you do for two hours? I mean, what else? How in the world could you talk about the Bible for two hours? You know what I'm saying? It's like, but anyway, praise God. Um, so just let's dig in. If, if you're a little more challenging to stay focused, that's. You're, you're building endurance, okay Remember um, you can't go by a pound of that. Uh, it's developed in the tension of the moment when you want to quit and choose not to. that's how you expand and increase your capacity to endure sound doctrine. amen all right, so first Corinthians this this time let's go to six, eighteen we were at five seventeen and um I put all three of these on the screen. All right. And I mentioned this verse earlier, but I want to show it to you. He says, flee sexual immorality, period. Okay. Flee sexual immorality, period. I've never taught it this way before. Um, I'm supposed to speak at chapel at the foundry on Thursday night in June so if the Lord leads me to do it I may do it this way then you guys will know I'm setting you up when I do it okay but I got to speak at the uh, love lady Center uh on Sunday night and it's been a real blessing to be included in in the rotation of speakers up there it's an honor and um and boy they get if you've ever ever you can only imagine that's about three hundred women and and it it they get ramped up dude I mean they get they get fired up about jesus and and um and so I did, you know, what a lot of people do. You know, you get up there and it's... it's uh, so I said, anybody in here love Jesus? And he goes, ah, you know, crescendo, you know. And I am said, you know, I, it's almost the old Sergeant Carter, I can't hear you. You know, it's like... And uh, you get louder and louder and louder. And, and um, I said, anybody in here respect him enough to do what he says? And it got really quiet. Yeah. Really quiet, you know. I said, you know, we're not... We're not we're asking the wrong question if we just ask you if you love him you know I said because you know you gotta you got to love him enough and respect him enough to do what he says Amen. and so then I just kind of went through a, a list of things do you respect him enough to do you respect him enough to and then I said do you respect him enough to do what he says about sex and um, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit I could have probably just you know, would have needed to pack on up and go home then, because you know, <laughs> I think I offended a few folks. But um, but see, that's that's the difference, right? It's the difference. How many people have a fond place for Jesus in their hearts? They ain't been in this house in you know three years, but oh man, me and Jesus, where I love Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. Right, so. It's about respecting him because he only wants good for you, okay? And I just, I feel compelled to say it. I'm not fussing. I'm just, listen to me. You will never have his best life for you ignoring what he says about sex. I'm just telling you. Well, Pastor Mark, you know, this is the 21st century. No, this is God. It's an ancient book, but it's timeless answers. So the instructions are flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man, man with a womb, womb man does, is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Addiction is like a sin against your own body. What is a sin against your own body? A sin against your own body is any sin that you would commit that would alter the way your body functions moving forward. Talk to a lot of people who've come out of addiction, struggle with addiction, and, you know, they'll, they'll be the first to tell you that they wish they had never even heard of crack cocaine, much less ever used it, right? So it's a sin against your body because now your body wants it and wants more of it. And, and, you know, heroin, things of this nature. I mean, do you realize how many people uh, addicted to alcohol, they're not drinking to get drunk, they're drinking to, to keep from being sick. So they've changed the way their body functions. Okay, So it's a sin against your own body. Okay, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Some of you heard me say one of my confessions is, my life's not my own to do with as I please. Okay? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body, And in your spirit, which are His, which are God's, which belong to God. Now, I always catch myself trying to explain this, and I've come to the conclusion that it's really one of those concepts that English words can only get you so far that the Holy Spirit has to reveal it to us, and he is, and thankfully so, okay? But I think it's strategic that he said your body and your spirit are God's, belong to God, okay? And he obviously did not say your soul belongs to him. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't give it to him, okay? Um, Your soul is... One of those things like, how do I say this? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping me. Any parent in the room ever given your kid money or a gift to give to you? So they would have something to give to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> they wanted to give you something, and they didn't have nothing to give you. They didn't have no money. You know. So make me a card. I don't want to make you a card. You okay. All right. So remember, before God ever told them not to eat one tree, he told them they could eat from every tree. and There was all kinds of wonderful trees there. For them to eat from and enjoy he said but that one see that became what god gave them to give back to him are you seeing this it became the tithe it's, to me it's the earliest form of tithe now watch this what if god had initially said every tree in here is yours have at it enjoy it feast on it just eat to your heart's content then six months later he's like hey uh adam buddy um I see you enjoying these trees every day down here, and uh, I, I, I would like to have one of these trees for myself. W- w- would you mind just giving me one of them? I'm at him like, man, you, are you kidding God? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a tree to eat from at all if it wasn't from you. I mean, pick you some out, help yourself, right? But that's not how God did it, was it? He said, every tree in here is yours to enjoy. But you see that one right there? That one's mine, don't touch it. Okay. So it became the thing that belonged to somebody else that Adam and Eve were to be faithful with. The Bible says if you're faithful in what belongs to another man, that's how you qualify for true riches. That's how you qualify for what God says is your own. It's what he wants you to have. Okay, But we know, of course, they weren't faithful in what belonged to somebody else, just like a lot of people The tithe is is what belongs to God. And when you spend the tithe on yourself, God says you're stealing it from him. Okay? I'm not here to receive an offering, as I often say. That's not what this is about. I'm just trying to show you here who created your body, who created your soul, who created your spirit that was that was you know needed to be recreated, and then who created the new one inside of you. All of those things, God, but He says, Your spirit and your body are mine. Your soul. See, it's back to that conversation we had a minute ago. That's you know what are you going to do with this? Because the the, the soul is the part of you that's uniquely you. Are you. You follow what I mean? That that's in other words, your thoughts. Now you can surrender your thoughts to God, or you can think whatever you want to think. You can live on your in your own little fantasy world, or or you can commit your thoughts to Him, commit your ways to Him. Uh, you know meditate on Him, set your mind on Him or you can choose to do whatever but it becomes the part that's yours that you have to offer Him to, to, to uh, give to Him okay? Amen or me? How about this one? Still talking about the soul we're about out of time can you believe we're about out of time? man, 640 Amen. obey those who rule over you And be submissive. For they watch out for... Somebody say it. They watch out for your souls. As those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. So, I'm... I'm, uh, as Paul said, magnifying my ministry. i not magnifying myself, magnifying my ministry. I'm very comfortable, you know, that God chose me from my mother's womb to be a servant leader to his people. And specifically in the area of, of pastoral ministry and teaching. Okay. And notice that my primary assignment is to watch for your soul. That doesn't, listen now, that, you see, spirit and your body belong to God and, and obviously you can do whatever you want to, but, and not acknowledge that, just like they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they acknowledge that God said it was his, okay? I don't recommend it, but, you know, recommend that the real you and, and the body that you wrote in here in, it's, it's, it's his, okay? <clears throat> but then that soulish part of you, because remember, as you think in your heart, so are you right so so what i know it sounds so simple but it's so true what am i here to help you with i mean i help folks with a lot of things and, and obviously the bible talks about physical needs that people have so forth and so on don't mind doing that happy to do that but that's not that's not the real job i can't tell you how many times we've helped people with financial needs and stuff like that at the church and that, and sometimes i'll even say you know, two or three times i'm like hey look I, I, don't, I don't mind doing this, but, but this is not the primary help that I'm here to give you. I'm here to help you with the issue that you have in your soul so you won't keep needing somebody like me to bail you out of this jam. Appreciate that grunt and a couple of amens nods, whatever. Do you follow what I'm saying? Now let me ask you a question. I Don't, don't shout it out. I'm just asking you a question. Okay, and You need to, you need to be able to answer this. Those of you who participate in these classes that are part of a recovery program online or in the room, okay? You need to be able to answer this, okay? Who is over you in the Lord? No, no, no. Let's go back to the verse. Let me put it on the screen. Obey those who rule over you. Right? So who... Let me say it in the way. Who do you answer to when it comes to the things of God, because God's, see, God's trying to get you under who and what you're supposed to be under so he can put you over who and what you're supposed to be over. Who's over you in the Lord? Who do you answer to? Who in Christ are you submitted to? Okay, I'm, I'm not, y'all are helping me clarify the question. I, I'm not asking you to say a name or anything like that but you saying that's helping me. So spiritual leaders, yes, but I'm, I am mean a name. A name. You follow, you follow what I'm saying here? I mean, some of you act like y'all are looking like a calf looking at a new gate. I, I can't answer that for you, but you should have an answer. There should be a pastor in your life. There should be one of God's servant leaders in your life that you submit yourself to, that you listen to, that you, not my Word, God's Word, that you obey. Right? Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not picking on you because everybody watching online, I mean, I could say this to a, you know, a Jesus festival with 20,000 people in the room. And, and they'd all laugh and throw Mountain Dew bottles at you. And that's a problem. Because that's not God's system. These things, listen, I've gotten, maybe I'm getting older, more mature, whatever. These are things that I'm not always the most comfortable talking about because it sounds a bit self-serving. But listen, a lot of you, I'm not necessarily your pastor. I'm here to serve you during this season in your life. I'm happy to do that, Okay. But among the most important choices you will ever make, among the most important decisions you will ever make in your life, and you listen to me, if you've ever heard me say anything, you listen to me, it's who you choose to be your pastor and where you choose to go to church. Right? That's important. And it's not random. It's not, not, let me just pick one, whatever's convenient. Oh, they they meet at more convenient times. It's closer to my house. Blah, 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 blah. I, Amy, I bet you drive past three hundred churches to get t- to this one. Probably. Probably. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Mark, I, who, is yours? who is mine? One of mine's sitting right back there. Mr. Donald Ballard's a prophet. Now he calls me pastor. Okay. Another one is is my older brother. Then there are men like Kenneth Copeland and Rick Renner and um, and Keith Moore. If, if, I, if someone was to ask me who is my pastor, I would probably tell you Keith Moore is my pastor, but that's really, he's my pastor in the sense that he is a pastor, and I listen to just about every sermon he preaches, okay, so as far as a pastor speaking into my life. Now, he pastors a church in Branson, Missouri, and in Sarasota, Florida, and I am partners with him financially, okay, so financial offerings into his ministry and allow him to speak into my life, right? Okay. But then this church has a board of directors that I submit myself to. And I'm not just out there doing whatever I want. Does that that make sense? Okay. So it's a great question. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, obviously I can give you specific names, okay? Um, But, you know, if not every day, multiple times a week, Um, Donald speaks into my life Um, and um, you know the Lord brought our hearts together years ago and he's been in other parts of ministry and 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 he's back under the umbrella of this ministry now and hopefully will be but the Lord may lead him again but but no matter his physical presence here or or what have you I just recognized the gift in his life many years ago so does that does that help okay yeah so, um, but, but you, we need, we need folks like this in, in our lives, right? Somebody that, um, that, that, you know, has, and again, I could just on and on, but he's there. That man wants what's best for me and he wants what's best for the people that, that the Lord has put me on this earth to serve, Right. Um, there, there are others that, um, and it's interesting, um, some of the men that speak into my life, um, like Brother Donald, um, I first met in a room like this, or met down at the foundry. There's one gentleman named uh, Tim Dean. He's a brilliant businessman, and, and he speaks into my life in different ways, um, but I met him right there on the corner by the chapel one morning. I was going in to teach class, and he was standing out there talking, and he introduced himself to me, and, and um, anyway, we're just, we're just, so amen. But yeah, it's, it's important. See, denominations offer a lot of that, and with us being a non-denominational church, um, there's a, it's not technically a denomination. It's referred to as a movement, word of faith, if you've ever heard of that. And that's like when I go to ministers' conferences, you know, to be fed and that sort of thing. That's that's where I go. Now I won't attend this convention. They have a big convention in um, in uh, Southwest Believers Convention. It's online, by the way. Some of the finest Bible teaching you'll ever hear. You know, um, I, I will attend virtually. Um, you know, it's just hard for me to get away with all my other responsibilities. Um, but I do in January, I go to the minister's conference and, and sit myself down in a seat and, and allow these men to speak into my life and women to speak into my life. Um, Sister Billy Brim's one of those. Um, but then when that convention comes around in um, this year, I think it's first week in August. Um, but last year, there was a set of sermons preached at that convention that I listened to. It was four sermons. I listened to them three times. Um, and I'll probably listen to them again, you know, before the next convention. That's how much the Lord spoke to my life through it. So, anyways, great question, sister. I appreciate you asking. I certainly don't mind answering it. And I am way out of time. Luke twenty-one, nineteen, last one of the night. By your patience, possess your souls. By your patience, possess your souls. Yes? Pe- you follow? Now, we'll... I don't have time to really accurately explain this, but patience has to do with endurance. Um, And the key thing here is, and I like to say it this way, by your patience, regain possession of your soul. We mentioned this earlier, and this was the verse, you know, when we sell out our souls to other things that then dominate our minds and our thoughts, which influences our emotions, which ultimately... Um, weakens our willpower, and we wind up making poor choices. Um, th- this is really, again, the anatomy of addiction is when some other substance consumes your thoughts to the point that it affects your emotions and your choices. But notice he's saying that we can regain possession where our thoughts aren't dominating, controlling us, but that, that we have control over them uh, once again in our lives. Amen. All right, Father, we love you. Thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for all that you've done for us, all that you've given to us. Help us, Lord, connect with the right people that you have, uh, Lord, gifts that you've put on this earth um, to to challenge us and to speak into our lives and to love us and to help us. Pray for us, um, Lord, these beautiful partnerships and, and, and fellowships, Lord, that you have ordained Lord, may we find the one that you have for us and then bring our supply uh, to to that group of people uh, to see your kingdom uh, built and growing around the world. And pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.